Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Solace, and with me is my very, very talented friend, my very own little rainbow bright, the mixtress DC Gina. <laughs> Whoa, that is a mouthful right now, isn't it? Yeah, I don't like, you be my what? little rainbow bright? I mean, I'll take it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take, um, I like that. That's cute, actually. Good. You know, my All right. <laughs> so speaking of color, Gina, uh, we both would probably agree that color play is a very, very powerful source. Um, it can affect you emotionally. It actually can affect you physically as well. Um, and, you know, our likes and dislikes, that part's a little subjective, but um, color actually had colors actually have a universal meaning. So, for instance, this one's an easy one. Red, yellows, and oranges, that's the warm colors of the spectrum and make you feel warm and fuzzy. Maybe you're on the beach, but it can also go all the way to the edge of making you angry and irritated. That happens a lot during COVID. <laughs> Stuck at yeah, home yeah. with your husband alone. Anyway, I, I, I talk about myself. I mean, but then now blues, blues, purples, and greens, those are our cool colors. Um, they bring calm and they kind of like, you know, make us feel serene, like we're, you know, hanging out in the hammock. But it can also make you feel kind of slow and melancholy and sadness. So there's a big spectrum on those. Um, so do you agree? Do you think you buying what I'm selling? Yeah, I I buy my Kool-Aid, yeah. my purple Kool-Aid? Yeah, I feel like I'm going to put on a mood right now and, and, <laughs> and, and guess my aura. I don't know. I, where are you going? I love, I want to know how you're going to I want to know up. what your favorite color is. Uh, my favorite color is blue. So again, you went to that serene, like, um, not sad, but like cooling, calm colors. So the funny thing is I'm on the opposite side. I One of my favorite colors, which I don't wear, because someday I fear that I'm going to have to wear a lot of it because you won't be my alibi, and that is orange. <laughs> you won't bail me out. You won't be my alibi. Or or worse yet, you'll be my accomplice. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably be with you. <laughs> Anyway, um, go ahead. Yeah. So, it, it, so all of this, you know, vibrancy, color talk, and my little rainbow bright, it brings me to, and you know, it's positive thinking about how color is powerful. It brings us to today's designated drinker. We're going to talk about some more um, bright things and positive things with both both of our designated drinkers. I did not slur. There are two. I haven't slurred yet. Anyway, we just started. Um, give me time. Uh, let me please introduce and welcome our guests to the show today, the president and the CEO of the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington, Kathy Hollinger. And wait, we have a returning guest. She is none other than the editor-in-chief and business strategist of Inside F&B, the very, very savvy Francine Cohen. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hi. Hi. Hello, Kathy and Francine. So where are you, Kathy? I am I'm here in Washington, DC. And how about you, Francine? I am in New York City. Wow. Smack in the middle of Manhattan. There you go. What but everyone's safe, and, safe and we're all at our curfew. homes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kathy, I'd like to stop the show. I'd like our listeners um, to know um, where you're. Tell us all about your organization and your role as president and big C-suite, the CEO. Well, ladies, let me first say this. I am so delighted that I could be here with you guys. What a nice 
distraction to be able nice. to just more joyfully talk about everything that's going on in our world, right? Um, I am, yes, yeah, so I'm here today, hopefully, as we have a great conversation about um, what we're doing at the organization, at Restaurant Association, the organization I lead, we um, are a community of about 1,200 operators, restaurant and food service operators, wow. uh, taverns, and we're mostly Washington, D.C., but we're also a little bit of Northern Virginia and a little bit of suburban Maryland. So we're metropolitan Washington, but we're an organization that is 96% independently owned and operated in terms of the kind of establishments we represent. And we do everything from representing them on legislative and policy issues that are not very sexy and not very fun um, to making sure they're in compliance, which is also not very fun. Um, well, it depends on what kind of restraint you're using, right? That's true. And today it's a whole different, <laughs> you know, rules of engagement completely, right? But then also training, education, uh, and then marketing around butts and seats marketing, what can we do creatively to make sure that people are experiencing all that is really fantastic about our industry and candidly, will always be really fantastic about our industry, regardless of what we're going through, period. Um, so we've been busy, we've been really yeah. busy. Um, and things, as everyone has had to pivot, we've had to pivot. So. It's really about giving everybody as much information, as many tools, as many resources um, that are needed in a way that doesn't burden them at all. We're not even thinking about financials. We're not thinking about anything other than being a real advocate, knowing that so many people are in need. I think I, that's one thing, just jumping on an organization standpoint. There's a lot of organizations that we all rely on to realize the type of work they're 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 doing and for many many different industries and they've all i mean that's a whole nother membership to your point you're putting all that on hold on on those dues and still want people to because now you have a bigger calling um so thank you thank you that's that's a big that's a that's a tough job well thanks for having me absolutely so our you know let's talk francine You've been on the show before. I actually do believe that um, I did a little little research, and I think you are uh, one of maybe our most favorite listeners' favorite um, really? past guests of all time. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That's quite an honor. I am <laughs> I am tickled to be back, and hope they like me as much the second time around. I can't um, imagine they wouldn't. <laughs> so, what have you say. been up to? Uh, when when you been up to since we had, we've seen you last? Well, gosh, have I been busy. Um, you know, like Kathy, I am so glad to be here today. You ladies, for me, represent people with whom I can have these real hard, unvarnished conversations about where our industry is and, and what COVID has done to it and what the events of the last week um, since George Floyd's death have impacted on it and how we're going to move forward on this. You know, I've spent a lot of time, um, particularly recently, in taking our work at Inside F&B and really dedicating it to helping um, colleagues and friends 
reimagine their businesses. The uh, COVID pandemic is horrible as it is, you know, worldwide, but particularly we're talking here in the States. As horrible as it is, I, I've got a nugget of hope and I, I see that there is opportunity for enormous change. There's a chance for people to reimagine their business models, to reimagine how they're engaging with customers and guests and suppliers and up and down their supply chains. And anything that wasn't working before, you know, when this nation has been put on pause, great. Let's take this opportunity to reset it. So, um, you know, I look at the 700,000 bartenders in this country who almost immediately found themselves without work through no fault of their own. Yeah. And many of them are hurting and find themselves in circumstances where they are in, in need of food assistance or housing assistance, certainly economic assistance. The bar owners are, are in similar situations and the boutique brands are too. Um, I've done a lot of work with small liquor brands who are looking at these numbers being reported that say liquor sales are up by 44% or 700% or you know 218%. But the secondary story that isn't being told and still is being addressed on a day-to-day -day basis is that a lot of these numbers that look great at the retail space are happening for the big known brands because people, consumers, go out and they buy what they know and what they're comfortable spending on weight, you know, are all respective of the fact that um, our economics are not what they were six, eight weeks ago. And, and maybe for some people, it's not an opportunity to try something new. But I've, I've got the hope and belief, and I've been working with brands in, in pivoting towards this theory that unexpected times call for unexpected spirits and unexpected activities. Absolutely. So that's really what I've been doing. That and some frying, quite honestly. <laughs> I've been drinking a lot. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> you know, I want to say this. I, I, I wanted this episode to happen for this reason, for Kathy and Francine to be on this episode, to, for our listeners to really get a sense of two sides of the coin. One that's advocating for literally the lifeblood of a restaurant and what everybody understands what a restaurant is for the United States, which Kathy is doing with the United States government, legislation, and she's putting it out there every day. And I don't think everybody understands maybe what that means. That means changing the laws. That means providing new laws. That means saying that you cannot get insurance. You, you can't you can't do anything with your insurance for COVID. There is no such thing. And I found out a brand new thing today. Guess what? If your store is looted, oh no, it is You're not covered. Me. Not covered. Wow. Because, I am not surprised to because hear because it is not terrorism, because it is on it's it's a civil it's a civil problem and it's not considered a, it's not considered war because we're not at war with ourselves yet, and. On top of that, to cherry that, if you are looted during this time, it's not considered ri robbery because it is during a riot situation. 
So it falls in this gray zone of no insurance. So I, first of all, am having a very hard time with the fact that this even exists. How can we have a pandemic? How could anything happen to George Floyd? How could racism just uh, this disgusting thing just constantly coming up at all times in our lives. And it is, it is, if this is it, if this means this is the bubble point where you have to say, you need to say something, then you say something. Then you say, I'm not going to tolerate anymore in whatever realm it is, because I'm going to say as a business owner and as a human, I can't handle much more. I can't navigate a business, a restaurant, and pretend everything is okay and be like, oh my God, I'm so excited to give you this cocktail because everything is okay. It is beyond not okay. It fell off of Mount Everest, not okay, two months ago. And now it is taking a deep plunge into the deepest lagoons of dark earth where those things with the little light fish live and it's still going further deep and it's not okay. And I don't, I want the listeners to really understand the navigation of what it takes a restaurant association and how many people. And then Francine Cohen navigating all of the thoughts of the people inside the business that are suffering in the restaurant business. Unemployed, not sure they're going back to work. The benefits are starting to run out. Uh, PPP will go away, everybody. You know, this isn't some magic gift that everybody received because they didn't. And you, you know, I think a lot of people don't want to hear that truth. And I think that this episode of the show is that truth. It is that wrong. And it is that necessary for people to, to, to literally hear what it is that one side of the coin of telling everybody what people like Kathy are doing or I'm doing and then Kathy listening to Francine, who's like got her ear on the street and hearing the problem. And I think that like, it's incredible that we have like a, a platform to do this, but like the saddest points of our life are today because we have to do this. Yeah, and, and to your point, Jenna, all of that, absolutely. And I think what would be wonderful with both all three of you on the show, to be honest, because everyone knows I'm, I'm on the other side of it. I'm not in the trenches of the food and beverage industry. I'm very close to it, obviously, um, but I am uh, uh, on the outside of it, on the peripheral. I think what was really wonderful about this episode is you're right. Hearing all those things are very, is very hard, and I think lack of knowledge, ignorance, period. A lack of knowledge is harmful, especially in this scenario, um, but I think that what we can do now is also offer those nuggets of hope. And then also, how is it that, because no one wants to be left helpless, like I can't do anything to fix this, but each one of us can do something. And is it with your voice? Is it with your vote? Is it with a new, learning a new behavior? Is it because, you know, as our food and beverage industry, which we've discussed at length as it reopens, what are those new rules? What are those new expectations of a patron um, and, and an understanding and a patience that it's going to take on my behalf? As a, No one's giving me that rule book either. As simple as, as simple as, you know, that when you go in, you might have to wait three minutes for a table or 10 minutes for a table and you get a cocktail at the bar. That's how we behaved before. What does that look like now? What can we expect as a patron? And then also, what can we do even before then? 
is there, are there things that we can do? Um, obviously, there's different places you can donate. But I think that if we can give listeners some of that, I think we can help change the scenario, even if it's just on a small level, on an individual level. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I have so much, um, so much I want to share. And I, why don't I start here? And please, and I'd love to hear um, what you uh, have in terms of your perspective and what you would share. I will say this, you know, two months ago, when COVID-19 happened, right? Which seems like decades ago at this point. It does. But two months ago, really what was happening happening immediately in our world? I mean, just to give some perspective. So we have close to 1200 operators and we have this tiny badass, I will say, all female team. Um, <laughs> of seven of us, seven wow. of us. I mean, we're, wow. a, you know, we're, we're small, but mighty. We're small, but mighty because people are committed as everyone in this industry is right. People are yeah. passionate. They're committed. They're not doing it because they think they're going to make a lot of money. They're doing it because they love it, period. Um, and that's important as we get to other parts of this, but this is what I will say. The first few weeks, couple weeks, couple days was all of the what people needed to know just to be able to pivot that quick pivot of wait a minute what am i allowed to do what can i do what should i do then it was followed by gina and i'm sure you have heard this often from i mean you've done this and your friends have done this with you literally you guys grown grown individuals bawling either at my doorstep or on the phone or by however, I mean, it was constant and hearts are breaking because when you are in a position to be helpful and be a resource, <clears throat> I don't know how to navigate COVID-19. I mean, who yeah. the heck knows how to navigate COVID-19, let alone what we're dealing with this last few days, last week. But my focus was what are the whole patching relief efforts I can put in place with the leaders who are willing? Everyone was willing, I will say. Everybody was willing. Nobody knew what they were doing, but everybody was willing. And then not knowing what they're doing, that causes additional complexity that comes down the line when you have to fix the legislation that you brilliantly created. <laughs> and I'm, I'm assuming some of that as well. I had some ideas that they seemed amazing, but the implementation of it is difficult. Um, so I will say it was the whole patching because there was this dream and thought that federal government was going to come up with this great program to help our industry across the country. Well, they created PPP and it doesn't work for our industry. People got the loans and they Maybe we're going to be forgiven, but it didn't apply to our folks who have already terminated 90% of their workforce. What is the benefit to retain your workforce when you had to day two tell your people they are no longer with the job? Yeah. So the, that maddening, anyone who was politicizing this in crisis, 
that was a whole other layer of emotion that was heart-wrenching. But what I will say is this, the local leaders in Northern Virginia and DC and suburban Maryland, so we got these grants put together. They're great, but by the time you get a grant, you get $4,000. What is $4,000 wow. gonna do after you already have $50,000 of expenses that have accrued? I mean, it's, it, it seems, so the efforts, were, the efforts were intended to be big and their desire to help is big. But when everything, everything was meant to wait for what was gonna be more helpful, it isn't helpful still. <laughs> It's still not helpful. So yes, you can sell beer, wine, and liquor. That's, I think that's great and game-changing and could be permanent across the region and it should be. And that's what we're pushing for now is, Francine, to your point, people are doing things differently. And the, the silver lining here is, what can we do to reset? all of what we didn't have time to address and deal with for a decade plus. How can we use the one time that we have way too much time to actually reset and think about how we're gonna do things differently? So I, I will just close by saying this, close my portion right here. We, the, the heartbreak, that I've listened to, that I've seen, the, the resilience and the commitment from people to be purposeful. They don't care about making money. I mean, they're like, I'm not gonna make any money, but I have a purpose and I'm gonna help. There is no other industry that leads with their heart the way that we do at our own expense. At our own expense, always, period. And I will say, as daunting as seem, things seem right now today, and as I have a son who is only rooted in joy and now is thinking about things that I didn't necessarily prepare him as well as I could have for today and for this moment, these things are daunting and they break my heart and our souls, it's soul crushing, but there is an opportunity for us to rise in a way that we're already used to doing. Like we are an industry that rises. The question is, how can we do it in a way where we can continue to love what we're doing and still be able to provide for people we love like our families? And that's Absolutely. gonna be the taking of a village to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your point of the resiliency of the food and beverage industry, we've talked about this before too, um, is the fact that, you know, again, I'm not in the industry, but I watch Gina work and uh, she doesn't just pay me to say this. I do, do truly mean it. She is the, one of the hardest working people I have ever met in my entire life. And she's not alone. And like, you know, she's talking about struggling, but I know she's feeding the front line. She's feeding like people on the front line. I know that she's putting bagels out there and making sandwiches and, you know, doing all the things for other people at her own expense. So, and as much as I love her and I think she's amazing, I, to your point, I know she's not the only one who's doing it. So ah, I'm going to cry again. I hate you, Gina. You make me cry. You jerk. Really? <laughs> all right, Francine, say it. You know, to Kathy's point about resiliency and community, um, and I'm probably going to cry, <laughs> but, um, you know, the thing that 
that struck me as so very meaningful the moment this all happened was the chatter that started on social media, on emails going back and forth, on phone calls that were business owner to business owner, bartender to bartender, brand to brand, brand to business owner, you know, how can we help? And how can we take this situation and make it better so that we can all survive? That, I think, was the first question. And, and then it became a, you know, what are you doing, best practices? How can I learn? The, the weird thing about bars and, and liquor and, you know, Kathy's constituency doesn't have the same sort of restraint is that the liquor industry has federal laws and state laws hampering what they can do. And those laws have been in place for, you know, 75, 80 years plus. So, so a couple of things had to happen. First and foremost, business owners needed to figure out how they were going to keep their businesses alive. Their employees needed to figure out how they were going to pay their rent. So there was lots of conversation about, can my landlord throw me out on the street if I'm a you know personal renter in an apartment? Oh, all of a sudden, and I'll use New York as an example, all of a sudden, Governor Cuomo has said, um, we are putting a hold, a 90-day hold on evictions. So all the bartenders could at least breathe a small sigh of relief, knowing that they wouldn't be thrown out of their homes, but they still were going to have to come up with their rent somehow, but at least one burden was taken off them, and that was losing the roof over their head. Um, you know, you, you flip to the bar owner, and you say, he's, he or she needs to figure out how he's going to pay his landlord. Landlords needed to understand what this meant. The PPP absolutely, positively did not address the functionality of the restaurant and bar industry. If it, I am not going to point fingers at any legislator because I understand that things are thought, thought through as solutions and potentially every avenue for the downfall of that solution may not be realized until you've experienced it. But when you look at the PPP and the, and the requirements that in order to give that money forgiven and not convert into a loan, you had to bring your staff back within a certain period of time and you had to use a certain portion of your PPP money to employ your staff, to pay your staff. If I'm in shutdown and I'm not allowed to open my bar or my restaurant, what the heck am I going to do bringing these people back? We're going to sit around six feet from one another, twiddling our thumbs? I mean, that's not realistic. Um, I do know of one or two bars that decided they were going to renovate during this time. So again, you know, silver lining, great opportunity. What do I do when there's nothing else to do? I'm going to renovate. But 
Could you imagine asking your bartenders come in and be slave labor to do that? No way in hell. So again, you know, some of these programs failed us. Some of them helped. Um, I, I think we need to keep talking to our legislators and making them understand where this industry is coming from and what the specific needs are of the industry. Um, I'm actually working with a group called thirstgroup.org. And it is a citizen lobbying group of um, bar and restaurant owners who are connecting with their legislators to share the challenges of this specific industry and talk to them about how those insurance laws can change. I mean, the, the fact that so many people have business interruption insurance that they thought would take care of them at a time like this, and it doesn't. And it doesn't in time of riot. And, and who would have even, you know, a policyholder, somebody signing on the dot, dotted line, would they have thought that anything, first, that anything like this could happen, and then B, it just feels outside the realm of possibility that if your business is interrupted, your business insurance interrupt, your business interruption insurance wouldn't cover it. So there, there are a couple of endemic problems that we're encountering during this pandemic. And it, it's all unfortunate, but I think if everybody exhibits some patience if everybody stops to listen and if everybody continues to cooperate the same way that we saw bar and restaurant owners cooperating with each other the way this first started, we'll be at a much better place. And, you know, fortunately, there are resources, there are grants, which, as Kathy said, you know, are not going to fix the problem. You take a look at something like the USBG, United States Bartenders Guild, National Charity Foundation, and they are giving out grants that are $150 to $500 a piece. They're modest, but they're meaningful. They're meaningful because that person who's been out of work for eight weeks and their insurance hasn't come through and they haven't returned back to work and unemployment is still sending them notes that says, we can't find you in the system. You know what? That $150 is going to keep their electricity on or it's going to buy diapers for their kid or it's going to mean they can afford their medication for the next month or two. But it's not enough. And I think we really all need to be working together, listening and cooperating to get us to a better place and a stronger model. And, and I will close by saying that the guests need to come along for the ride. The only way it's going to work is if they buy into. Oh, and I, I need a, a drink after that. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a drink in a second. I have a question, though, that really is important to me about this whole insurance thing. I don't understand why, if, if this is the case that we can't have the insurance, we're paying all this money and everything is being put out there, okay? What, does restaurants, so we've pivoted so much now, right? Is there a way, and this is gonna sound ridiculous, but I'm thinking 
if the insurance doesn't take care of us and workers' comp is a different insurance, just simply, let's just clarify that your policy has many layers to it. So workers' comp, this is not involved workers' comp, what I'm about to say. To cover the business and the things within the business, okay, such as furniture and fixtures and all of these things, not the gas and all this stuff, you know, this is what business interruption is, right? It's taking care of the um, the revenue, the loss, what would have been based on historical facts. If you were to delete that payment that I make for multiple units every month, every year for the last going on eight years, I would have plenty of money to pay all of the people, all of the things and everything. Part of me thinks in some bizarre way that there is, as the restaurants become new to people again, that there's almost, if, the, if we can't change the insurance game, that there's almost a dine at your own risk. And I don't mean that that's what we should do, but there should be some kind of like mutual agreement between the guest and the property and, and the business owner. It says, no, if you poison me, you're, you know, that's one thing, right? But but like, there's gotta be something like in between there that, that takes the risk off of the, the business and the insurance a bit and puts some liability onto the guest. Because I find it incredibly unfair, the amount of insurance that I would 100% share my policy with everybody to show you how much insurance I have to carry for somebody to come in and act, an, act a fool in my restaurant, sit on the sink in the bathroom and break it. Um, I don't know, just drink too much and hit their head, I, I, a thousand things. Yeah. There's yeah. gotta be a way to fix this, to do something that we can fix this so that the little people in the restaurant business stop paying all the big slip and fall insurance for like, say people that go to like a mall, cause all that money goes into one conglomerate pot. Now, if I was, uh, if I was a retail store, guess what? I would have gotten all kinds of business interruption, but because I'm not a retail store, I can't get it. And you that's not fair. No, it's not fair, Gina. I, I, think, I think it's an interesting idea, but I see what you're saying as a, a bigger problem because it's societal. You've got to get your guests to take personal responsibility. And unfortunately, we live in a litigious society. So while I don't know that the answer is going to be to get the guests to take on that responsibility, unless you've actively got them signing a release the same way, you know, if you walk into a movie shoot, um, you have to sign a release or you walk into an event you may either have to sign a release or acknowledge signage that indicates, you know, you will be filmed. So maybe it's messaging about, you know, eat at your own risk sort of thing. I, but I go back to the insurance companies and I say, I respect the fact that part of the reason they're not pushing harder to cover these clauses in the policy is because they feel it's going to decimate their industry. And they're going to lose will. hundreds of billions of dollars. But 
looking at it from a different perspective, which is the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, is, if I'm getting this correct, the second biggest employer in the U.S. after the federal government. So we are no longer a manufacturing society. We are a service society. And there needs to be recognition by the insurance companies. And I think something akin to what happened after 9-11, where there was a fund set up that takes some of that burden off the insurance company, off the operators like yourselves, and doesn't expect that the, that the guest is going to bear the responsibility would be a viable solution. You know, Francine and, and Gina, one thing I'll say is I, so I hear, I hear that those conversations are happening, but let me tell you something um, that's interesting because even with Reopen DC, you know, as we were trying to do this Reopen DC committee that is literally a whole different show that requires many other things to be able to participate in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is what I'll say. One thing that came up only as it relates to COVID, because now there's, you know, so many liability. I mean, there's so much, there's so much unrest that what a restaurant or a small business has to endure that would not be covered is, it's mind blowing. But there was this idea and thinking, and a lot of other states are doing it. A lot of other cities are doing it. It's not legally binding, but it is promissory in that it's, hi, I'm a restaurant operator and I am committing to doing these 10 things as you walk into my door. I also want you to commit to me the responsibility that you have as a patron and as a diner to do these 10 things. At least it starts slightly changing the culture around being a responsible person, period, period. Whether you are, you are a member of the community, whether you are a business owner or you are a resident or you are a, whatever you are, you have a responsibility and you should. And I think that it's going to, it's gonna take a little bit of momentum. I do think it's happening. And I think that we have a, DC and New York City are probably the two cities as far as being a community of people, it could work from a slow culture change. But I will, I'll tell you the biggest issues right now in terms of what we are, yes, we gotta keep talking to our legislators. We gotta keep talking to our leaders and our elected officials. But the two big things right now, we protected businesses in terms of you can't be evicted. You don't have to worry about utilities for a minute. You're going to get a little bit of cash, not a lot, and you can do these kind of things as you are modestly operating. So it's kind of a suite of you can be still for a moment, right? But it's the long term of we got to deal with rent relief. We got to deal with how landlords are coming to the table and being solutions driven and not like this isn't our problem. It's everyone's problem. Everyone has to come to the table and the insurance companies are gonna to have to come to the table and federal government's gonna to have to come to the table because it's not, we wanna screw you over and gouge you to help us. It's how are we all coming to the table with a little bit of risk and a lot of solution 
so that we're rebuilding as a society going forward. I mean, so yeah, I would I half get frustrated and I half get um, <laughs> I'm hopeful, but I think what's great is when I hear that everybody is saying the same thing. And as we are louder and bolder and more consistent in saying it, someone's got to pay attention, right? You, you got to hope. You got to hope. Somebody's got to. Or, or you know what? If it's not the legislators taking note, and if it's not our elected officials and the insurance companies listening, then maybe it'll be the guests. You know, there's yeah. the possibility. You know, when, when the cocktail movement started a little over 10 years ago, and it started with these small speakeasy type bars, they all had rules up on their walls. And it was hearkening back to a time, you know, generations ago, but guests responded well to it and, and they adhered and they liked it and they took advantage of it. And maybe if we partner that effort with something like the model that works in Tel Aviv cocktail bars, which is everything happens on reservation. You, you maximize your time. You keep track of your inventory. You are able to better schedule because you know what your flow is going to look like. You commit the guest by getting them to pay in advance for their reservation. And everybody on both sides of it, both sides of the business operation are buying in. Yeah. I hope we can get there really soon. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, who knows? You know, a I, lot I of work ahead, right? A lot of work. Lock, and there's a lot of work no ahead. Predicting it. And there's no predicting it. But I go back to being a broken record, cooperation and listening. Yeah, completely. All right, Gina, is it time for a cocktail? I think it is. I think it is. And um, today we have, today, actually, we're going to talk about the spirit that um, is provided from us. So Francine, you want to tell us about your spirit a little bit? I'd be happy to. Um, Caravedo Pisco is the um, biggest imported Pisco into the U.S. And if you have no idea what Pisco is, aside from it being... Peru's national beverage. It is an all grape based spirit. It's the soul and essence of wine uh, because it's distilled from wine. And the beauty and purity of it comes from the fact that no matter which of the eight grapes you use to make pisco, it's distilled to proof and there is nothing added. It is all grapes all the time. It's, all grapes um, all the time is going to be the name of this cocktail. It is. It makes me want to do a little jig. It is all grapes all the time. You know, it's it it's got it's distilled to proof, so it's got no water, no sugar, no additives, and then when it's distilled, it rests in non-reactive vessels, so you don't even get that wood on it like you would with other spirits. And Caravedo. Uh, is made in Ica, Peru, which is one of the five regions where the denomination of origin allows Pisco to be produced. And it is made at Hacienda La Caravedo, which has been the oldest operating distillery in the Americas because it's been in use 
since 1684. Mm. So, but you that, have not been you have been not, you have not been working for them since then, though. I have not been working <laughs> for them since oh then. Um, I no, I am not that old. Um, and this brand is um, it, it's just absolutely delicious. What you're drinking today is called Mosto Verde style. And it simply means that during the fermentation process, um, it was sh shortened a little bit to retain more residual sugar than in some other styles of pisto. And so it's got this intense florality and beautiful, almost honeysuckle style nose to it. And so let's the, start drinking. Well, let's yeah, taste let's it. Why don't we drinking. taste it for a second because okay. I think everybody needs a little, let's take a little, a little sip. Everyone, yeah. What I think John, we all can use it. What does Johnny say? Um, Johnny Schuler, my heart, I The master distiller. Yeah, but what does Johnny say though? He says something when you do a little shot of it, he says something. Salute? No, he says something else he said. <laughs> it was on an episode, you go back and we'll listen to the episode. Okay. Yep. Uh, okay. Salute ladies. Cheers. Salute. Salute. And in Peru, they drink it by itself. I mean, certainly there's a huge cocktail culture in Peru, but this is a beauty all on its own, just as a sipper, a slow Gina, sipper. Gina, how would you describe it? Um, super floral, fruity. I get lots of melon. Um, as I'm, using, I'm gonna use cantaloupe. So, you have lots of melons. Yes. So I'm sitting today and bartending, which is new for me. So I don't even know how to do this. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to sit because I've been at work since six o'clock this morning. But uh, went, let's do the drink. So one thing I did ahead of time or while we've been on the Zoom with them is kind of like been putting a little bit of uh, sugar on my glass. Because I'm not going to put any sugar in the drink. Now you have an option oh. for how you do it at home because this is a beauty, right? You're at home. So I'm not going to criticize you on service bar and tell you you're doing it wrong. So... Um, this cocktail uh, required uh, fruit of whatever was in your house, um, sugar, uh, citrus, which I prefer the lemon, and then I had optional ingredients where you could have maraschino liqueur or um, Cointreau. So what did everybody bring to the table is the first question. I've got raspberries. Raspberries? Yeah, and I have melon. Okay, is that cantaloupe? Uh, gala le mel uh, melon, gala, gala melon. Oh, it's like, like a honeydew. It's like a honeydew. It, yeah. yeah, it's definitely and in the honeydew family, but it was yellow on the outside. And then Kathy, what do you have? I have watermelon. Yum. And I'm really excited. All right, so if you have whole pieces of melon, or so if you have whole pieces of melon or juice, we're gonna just start with that. And if you have your um, raspberries, we're gonna we're gonna put that inside of your shaker. So raspberries do not require um, a muddling process. So Louise and I will just muddle our drinks. I'm gonna move this down so everyone can see. Oh, need my so I put, So I put some cantaloupe into my tin and I'm just going to give it a quick muddle because we just want the fruit and to like, well, my, it's really soft, so it's actually not that hard of a muddle. So we just want the fruit to actually become the sugar. So we were talking about the dryness, the, the really beautiful florality dryness of the pisco one thing i try to do with spirits is not mask the product with a lot of sugar so if you how have how much melon how much melon do you think is right two like, ounces okay. it's really subjective do you want it more do you, do you want it really juicy or not um for 
Kathy, I would put in one and a half ounces of watermelon juice. Okay. Um, for Francine, I would put in about five to seven raspberries. Okay. And then for uh, Louise, you need to put about two to three ounces of, of whole, the melon in there, and then you're going to squish it, and you'll probably get about an ounce and a half of juice. Okay. I think I did it. Okay. So now that's all in there, right? <clears throat> so... For me, when I use uh, melon in a drink, I always put the citrus in next. So I'm going to take uh, my lemon and I'm gonna squeeze a little bit of fresh lemon in there. If you have lemon juice and you want the actual ounce size of that, you're gonna just put in about, this is again subjective, a half an ounce to three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice. You don't really need too much. Oh, I just shot my computer, it's nice. <laughs> I think it's such a mess, but it's like, it's very liberating. What? Yeah, make a mess. This is this is the this is the one time where you're like you make the mess. It's good to go. All right. Does anybody have the secondary or third ingredients that I asked for? I have Cointreau. Hollinger has zero secondary. Perfect. So if you have zero secondary ingredients, what we're gonna ask is that you do a little bit of like a sugar, um, like a little sugar rim on one side of your glass. Like that. I just did that. I'm excited. Okay. I have no sugar. Just put your finger in well, it, you're Francine. Going, you're, you're sweet going enough. Fully dry awesome. then. I'm going. I'm gonna go dry. fully dry. All right. I'm gonna use for me. I'm gonna use. So you can use a half an ounce on your side of. Um, I lost my jigger. Hold, please. Oh, there it is. So on your side, um, Louise, you do a half an ounce of Cointreau. Got it. I'm gonna do a half an ounce of of uh, Maraschino. Okay. By the Luxardo, which is just a little bit of a cherry liqueur and basically the sugar in the drink, and now I have sugar on the outside, so it's a little, mine's gonna be a little bit sweeter. So I, a little bit sweeter than I generally uh, do. So we have all of the ingredients in there. We forgot one of our main ingredients. We're gonna put in- Pisco. Two ounces of the Pisco. And we're putting that in there. And we are going to, we're gonna, so for me, I we're gonna do three quarters full of ice to shake. And I am putting my small side in this side. And then we're going to shake, OK? Everybody ready for that or not yet? Yeah, hold on. I've got a cobbler. OK. Take your time. Good. Ready to go. Go. Ooh. Shake it like it matters. My hands are getting cold. Yeah. Let's see my Okay. Now you've shaken it quite a bit. We're gonna take some ice, put it in your glass, whatever glass you've chosen. Gina, let me ask you this. When you smack this, what side do you, what's the magic it's of getting apart? It's breaking the seal. Yeah, it's, on, what the side? Side. it's on the side where, it's, where the space is. Right there? Yeah. There we go, thank you. Stop talking. Hi, everybody. This is real life when you have COVID and a pandemic. Your kids are home all the time. All right, let me. So Ooh, that's not nearly enough. And what'd you top that with? Mine? So I put mine a little bit of melon. Kathy, what do you got on yours? Sorry, I, I got distracted putting my things together. What did you ask last? Nothing. Where, what, what part are you up to? Shaking? I, I finished shaking. I'm now pouring. I'm good. I'm good. I'm up to date. All right. Is it in the ice in your glass? Let me see. It is. 
very nice. It's lovely. So vibrant, talking about colors. Look, I added a little color. Beautiful. See, there was a whole reason why we had the colors in the beginning. Now it all makes sense in the end, right? <laughs> I planned that, Gina. I planned it all out. I, well. <laughs> Here's mine. I went. Beautiful. I went straight up with it. Um, I'm having COVID house issues in that I live in a small apartment in New York City and we're trying to shop just like every two weeks. So my um, freezer is full and I've got no ice or very little ice. So I'm conserving and I'll be drinking it like this. So oh. you are literally living a 1918 lifestyle. I like oh my that. God, oh wait, and we, and we do not have gas. I do not have cooking gas in my well, apartment. Well, you know, we guys live in a happen? small apartment. Oh I don't know if you want gas, wait, right? Ladies, cheers. Let's have a sip of your cheers, drink. Hold cheers, hold it up. Hey, cheers. Cheers. Well, this makes it feel a little bit better, right? Oh, that was, that's delicious. That tastes amazing. So, now you see the difference, right? You tasted your Pisco prior. You added watermelon Kathy. You've added um, a version of a honeydew melon for Louise and then did raspberries for Francine. So you have like an I did cantaloupe here. You have a different, very different, you know, uh, like taste that it's gonna bring out. So like, I can imagine that we'll, we'll basically give the recipe for everybody if you wanna just, um, you know, play around with this. But one thing I will say when you make this cocktail is that you do need to start with a very good Pisco because, you know, not adding a lot of stuff to it you really taste the liquor, so the liquor needs to be delicious, right? Well, it's funny you say that. That's what I was going to say is what I really like about this cocktail, Gina, is the Pisco still comes through with the with the honeydew melon. I, you know, it, it's not, I don't feel like I'm just, oh, by the way, there's something else in my, there's something else in my melons. It really does. The Pisco, <laughs> sorry, I had so to my, do that. There's so many ways to go with that, Louise. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I spend a lot of time alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> now um, it's getting, but, it's, it's What I was trying to say was that the melon really complements the Pisco, but doesn't hide it. And it's such a beautiful spirit by itself that the melon just is, it's a nice, it's very beautiful. Thank you. The most of Verde tends to be sort of bold and beautiful. So it really does stand up to whatever you pair it with. Yeah, it's beautiful. Which I love. Yeah, when we had Johnny on the show, we did a whole tasting of the whole lineup. That one oh was boy. a little boozy. And I may have fallen a little bit in love with him. Just a little bit. Oh, I think it was mutual. Well, we'll bring, <laughs> we'll bring Johnny back to D.C. once we can. And Kathy will get the chance to meet Mr. Schuler and enjoy Pisco in another room. Or we all just go to, go to the vineyard because apparently there's a beautiful place to stay. There are, there are beautiful bungalows at the Hacienda out back by the pool. And sure. it, terrible, it terrible would be wonderful to get out there and wander through the graveyard, vineyards and walk around the Hacienda and see the horses. I mean, it's actually a working Hacienda. Um, so it's, it's a very cool place. And 
yeah, we should just all take the show to Peru. Let's do it. Well, wait, we have to wait until after the country opens up because they're on <laughs> serious lockdown until the end of June. Yeah. They're like, we have inside. a few phases to get through, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? This glass, this this cocktail helps you get there just a little bit. Yeah, at least yep. just in your own little mind. So we'll travel um, in a glass. Yes, exactly. So, Gadula housekeeping. Gina, where are we going to get this recipe? Um, you're sorry, you're going to get this and all the recipes at designateddrinker.show. Wait, what was that? Designateddrinker.show. Yes, all of Gina's how-tos, her tips, and and a link to this amazing um, piece go that uh, that we were so fortunate that Francine sent each one of us a bottle. Um, it's going to be a good day. Um, we'll make sure there's a, a link there so that the, our listeners can learn more about um Johnny Schuler's um, amazing Pisco, the master distiller. Um, but yes, all of Gina's tips will be there on this recipe and all of our other recipes from the past episodes. Um, and of course, you'll also be able to find in our episode notes as well as again at the URL. Um, everything that Kathy's doing, if you're interested in the restaurant industry or in local industry, what's happening, definitely have a link out to uh, where you can find her and which and maybe her personal phone number. Probably not. But... <laughs> And of course, in my house. Yeah, really, <laughs> like everybody else. Oh God! And then, and then we'll all go to we'll all go to Manhattan and hang out in uh, Francie's apartment after that. <laughs> sounds sounds great. Jump in an Uber, just go up to New York. My for the day. doorman will not let you in until we're in phase three. <laughs> there it is. So now it's all you, Gina. It's my time for my question. Well, we already yes. know Francine's spirit and ingredient. So Kathy, we have a question in this time. Uh, I identify with a ladybug because, you know, she takes care of the garden and like that's my spirited animal. I want to know what your spirited ingredient would be. And it could be any ingredient that you cook or make drinks with. So my spirited ingredient, I would say chili oil. Oh, yum. I love me some chili oil. And I could actually drink it alone. I could drink it as a cocktail. I love that. <laughs> I don't think anybody said that. I'm going with that answer. Perfect. <laughs> all right, oh, ladies. that's amazing. Chili oil. All right, ladies, thank you for all your inspiring words and helping us understand where we are and bringing a bright point to what we know is a little bit of a dark point. Um, but we all, you know, we're all going to get there together, right? Right. Love you guys. I love you, ladies. Thank you so much. I mean it. I have so much heart and so much love for both of you. Bye, guys. Cheers. Good night. night. Be safe. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. To learn more about HCOA or to find out about Missing Link's other podcasts, head over to missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company. 